Take your Bible or your phone or your tablet and turn with me for our scripture reading to Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And the word of God reads as follows. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to worship individually and collectively in this sanctuary. We thank you that you do indeed love us so much that you have called us into your presence through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have set aside this day at least once a week where we gather with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship, to fellowship, to look into your word, to sense your presence by your Holy Spirit that we might be further transformed into the likeness of Christ. Father, we do pray for that for ourselves today, individually and collectively, that you would be at work in a special way in us and among us this morning, even as we have sung, even as we pray, even as we look at your word, even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper later in this service. Work in our lives and exalt Jesus. Father, we know that there are those in our congregation who are hurting, hurting because of the loss of loved ones. We pray for them. Be their strength, be their stay, be their encouragement this morning. Father, we know that there are those in our congregation who are struggling with health. Show yourself the great physician. through healing of spirit and soul and of body. And Father, for those who are struggling relationally or financially, Father, we pray that you would let them know that, that you are the one who provides. You are the one who cares so much that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And Father, we would pray for specifically for Josh Gutteridge and for his family. Lord, this is a transition time for them as well now, not simply for us, but for them. We pray that you would work in their lives, in Josh's heart and life. Uh, Lord, give him guidance and direction as he prepares to join us permanently for all of the, the issues of relocating, of learning people's names, developing relationships, preparing messages. Lord, I pray for Josh, that you would work in his heart, in his life. Uh, prepare him for us, even as you prepare us for him. And Father, we know that in this difficult time, in this time of upheaval, we know that there are people who are wandering spiritually and emotionally, people who are struggling in this world and in the United States. And Lord, they're looking for answers. They're looking for something. They may not even know what they're looking for, but they need Jesus. Father, maybe they've discovered our worship this morning online or other churches worship online. Maybe they're looking through tweets. Maybe they're looking on Facebook for someone, something that can give them hope and support in this tumultuous time. Lord, show them Jesus. And may we be part of showing these hurting people. May we be part of showing them Jesus. Father, even as we turn our attention to your word, we pray your Holy Spirit would be very real among us. Teach us, instruct us, guide us in the truths of your word. Apply them to our hearts and lives. And Lord, I would pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh, my Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Even as I prayed, uh, I have been amazed in the recent last year of articles that I've read, mostly online. I no longer subscribe to a print newspaper. I finally ended that about three weeks ago. No, I'm teasing. But the articles online of people who are hurting, even before COVID, how, how society has deteriorated in so many ways that people are hurting. They feel isolated. They're lonely. They're, they're depressed. People are struggling in this day and age, and they have been for actually quite some time, the, the, the isolation due to COVID has simply exacerbated the situation, has simply made the situation worse in terms of people's isolation and loneliness and struggle. And, and I believe it's because people crave intimacy. We were created not simply for ourselves, but for others. We, we need each other as human beings and as Christians. You remember all the way back to the to, to Genesis. God created and it was good. God created and it was good. And God created and it was good. And he created Adam and it was good. The first not good in Genesis. Do you remember what it was? God said it is not good that Adam be alone. 
That was the first not good of the Bible. It is not good for people to be alone. We crave intimacy. And with societal deterioration, if you will, we, we see this in, in the family, the, the, the nuclear family, relationships within the family. But we also see this within the family of God. It's, it's not by accident that we are called brothers and sisters in Christ. The family is where this intimacy and relationships is supposed to be nurtured. Now, that's true for, for the nuclear family. That's also true for the family of God, the household of God, for me and for you as brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, God has called the Christian to spiritual intimacy. We've been called to spiritual intimacy. The, the context of our passage, the context of our passage is the doctrines, the theology of Christ's work and salvation. The writer of Hebrews goes into great depths showing how Old Testament realities have been fulfilled in Jesus. The, the writer of Hebrews is laying foundations for our understanding of the work of Christ in terms of the Old Testament teaching with great practical implications for us. And we want to look at some of these teachings, some of these practical implications this morning as it relates to our intimacy with God and our involvement with each other. I believe that God calls us to intimacy through three exhortations, three key exhortations in this passage before us this morning. And this passage before us this morning, the, the first key exhortation is simply, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. It's embedded in verse 22, and I'm going to read verses 19 through, 20 through, three, through 22 again for you. A lot of details here now. A lot of details. We don't have time to look at all of them in depth but we'll try to expand briefly on some of the details of this drawing near, this exhortation collectively. All these exhortations are not simply individual to us, but they're collective. Let us draw near. These verses again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The beauty of these verses is we have access to God. As believers in Christ, we have access to God, and he therefore calls us to make use of that access. Let us draw near to God. But he begins this brief paragraph with the foundation for our confidence. Why do we have confidence to enter the very presence of God? It's because of the work of Christ. Because of the work of Christ. Notice we have confidence to enter the most holy place, which in the Old Testament was only entered once a year by the high priest. The most holy place was where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, dwelt among the ark in the tabernacle, the most holy place. And only once a year 
the high priest could enter. But now it says we have confidence to enter that most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross for our forgiveness of sins, the ultimate sacrifice. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament led up to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, so that we can have forgiveness of sin and enter the most holy place. But then it goes on to say, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. A living way? All the sacrifices of the Old Testament were killed. Jesus was killed, but he was raised. He was resurrected. There's an allusion here very clearly to the resurrection. It is a living way, and through his resurrection, we have new life. Opened through the curtain, the curtain that divided in the tabernacle, in the temple, the most holy place from simply the holy place. And so that curtain was torn on the day Jesus was crucified. If you remember the crucifixion passages, that curtain was torn as Jesus died on the cross. His body broken and bruised for us. And so it is, that curtain now has been torn asunder. Anyone can enter, not just the high priest, but anyone can enter into that most holy place. And since we now have a great priest, not just human priests, but now since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, who ascended into heaven and now intercedes for us at the right hand of God, We have confidence to enter. Do you see how he's building and building and building on the reasons for our confidence to enter into God's presence? The blood of Christ, the resurrection, the work on the cross, the opening up of the holy place, a high priest at the right hand of God interceding for us every moment of every day. And then he says, verse 22, let us draw near to God. How can we not? How can we not draw near to God? That's the consequence of all this confidence, is to worship. And again, let us do it collectively as well as individually. Let us worship. Let us show our devotion. Let us develop this this intimacy. Because the only barrier between us and God is sin. And that barrier has been totally removed by the work of Jesus Christ. That's the only barrier to entering God's presence is sin. And that barrier has been removed by the work of Christ. But it goes on to say, draw near to God with a sincere heart, single focus, a sincere heart, single-minded in our heart, in full assurance of faith. All we have to do is believe all these reasons for our confidence. Just exercise faith, trust him, for his work in our lives. Single focused heart, full assurance of faith, hearts sprinkled, cleansed from a guilty conscience. Not simply the cleansing from sin, but cleansing from the guilt. The guilt is gone as well by this cleansing. And having our bodies washed with pure water, this idea of heart and conscience and bodies. We we, we think of both internal and external cleansing. We've been cleaned inside and out. Our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, 
have all been cleansed. Again here, the idea comes from the Old Testament. As people wanted to become Jewish, wanted to join the family of God in the Old Testament, they had to go through ceremonial washings, purified, if you will, in some tangible way with with the purifying waters. That's already been done for us. That happens through Jesus in full assurance of faith with sincere, single-minded focus. We come to Christ, exercise faith, and we are cleansed inside and out as we enter into God's presence. You see, God now sees us in Christ as believers in him. He sees us in Christ. He doesn't see us with all of our faults, all of our past sins, all of our problems. He sees us positionally as having right standing with him, as being righteous in him. And that then provides us with the ability to walk in faith. This positional standing with God means that we can now progressively develop this walk of faith as well. We have an audience with God. So, who would you most like to meet? Think of all the human beings who've ever lived. Some of you may have met some very famous people in your lifetime. But who would you most like to meet today? You you don't need to say it out loud. There are some people that I would really like to sit down with and talk. There are some people that are quite famous. I'd love to have a meal with them. Find out about, more about their internal lives. Get to know them better. Whoever that is, whoever you would most like to meet on a human basis, remember how great, how wonderful it might be to, for you to meet them. It pales in comparisons to the fact that you can go have an audience with God any moment of every day. Almighty God, the ruler of the universe, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, anytime we want, we can draw near to God. This is not just theory, people. This is not just theory, beloved. This is reality for us. It is experiential. We can experience this any moment of any day. We can enter God's presence, and we should. This is an exhortation. Let us draw near in our quiet times. Our personal devotional times, we draw near. In our study of Scripture, our reading of Scripture, we draw near. In our opportunities throughout the day, simply to shoot a quick prayer to God, let Him know that we're thinking and dwelling in His presence throughout the day. Spiritual breathing, when we realize that our thoughts or our words or our deeds are not consistent with what He has for us, we can confess that. Be forgiven and then reappropriate the very Holy Spirit of God in our lives, his presence in our lives. Spiritual breathing, this is called. Out with the bad, in with the good, if you will. Throughout the day, let us draw near to God. The second exhortation, the second exhortation of this passage is found in verse 23. The writer goes on to say, and... Let us hold fast to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Very simple one verse. If we are called 
into the presence of God through faith, with assurance of faith. Then we move on to this profession of hope. Let us hold fast. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us hold on. Let us hold tight. Let us stand firm. In contemporary words, it would say, let us hang in there for Jesus. Let us hang in there with the hope that we profess. Why? Because he's faithful. The one who promised is faithful. He will fulfill his promises. God's faithfulness is the foundation for our hope. You know, we could tell many stories about God's faithfulness over this last year. We don't have the time to do that. But because... Because this is a collective exhortation, let us hold fast to the hope we profess. We need to be telling each other stories of God's faithfulness from this last year. Why? Because that stimulates hope in the others, those around us. As we tell our stories, the people around us are encouraged in their hope. They, too, are strengthened in their hope. Assurance of faith to draw near. Profession of hope because God is faithful, we hold fast. This verse is really, again, about perseverance. Holding fast the hope we profess because he who promised is faithful. It's really about perseverance. We live in a world of uncertainty. But amidst all the uncertainty of this world... God is always consistent with his word. Always. That's what faithfulness means. He's always consistent with his promises. He's always consistent with his character. Faithfulness means that God is always consistent with his word, his promises, his character. We can depend on that. And yet this is problematic problematic for many. I look back over the last, let's say, 30 years, back to 90-91. I look back over those 30 years. Now, some of you won't be able to identify with all of this, but if you take a look at what's transpired in the last 30 years around us as believers, we have had multiple, multiple economic recessions multiple ones. We have had terrorist attacks on U.S. soil. We have had political unrest. In recent days, very serious political unrest. We have had spiritual opposition. Spiritual opposition in the last 30 years some more extreme than others. And we have certainly had health challenges of a worldwide, a worldwide pandemic. Political unrest, financial recessions, spiritual opposition, terrorist attacks, health pandemics. But look at this. We're still here. We're still here. Now, the skeptic may say, yeah, but look at all the Christians who have died 
Of course. They're now with Jesus. God is still faithful. Some of those believers who have died have died as martyrs, been killed for their faith. But God is still faithful. They are with him now in glory, even as we are still with him in this sanctuary and online. God is faithful. All we have to do is look at the history around us and look within this sanctuary and tell the stories. It's faithful. Therefore, we hold on to the hope that we profess. You see, with all of these challenges in life, those who are in Christ are secure. We are secure in Christ. There is no other ultimate security in life. All of the episodes I've spoken to about this morning, all of those issues of the last 30 years, none of them provide security. Not for this life, not for the next, but for the believer in Christ, we have ultimate security. Security in Christ both now and forever. One of my favorite passages is Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. And it portrays this security in Christ very well. It simply says this, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced, Paul says here, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, brothers and sisters, is security. And so we hold tightly to the hope that we profess. You see, we have intimacy with God. We draw near. And as we draw near to God, we are convinced that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, we can hold tightly to the hope we profess. And that gives us vital Christianity a vital living Christian faith and hope in our lives. But we're not done yet. There's more. The third exhortation in verses 24 and 25, let us consider how this develops for ourselves and as a congregation. Let us consider is the exhortation. Let us think about how we can develop this. Verses 24 and 25 read this way. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is where we get more specifically to the involvement part of this message. Involvement with other believers to encourage perseverance, if you will. You see, Christ in our lives compels us to fellowship with others who are in Christ. Being a member of Christ's body, Christ compels us for fellowship not only with him and the Father through him, but Christ compels us to fellowship and intimacy within his body. We are his body in this world. How can we not? How can we not fellowship with one another and neglect 
one another. It's a threefold exhortation, though. This exhortation to, to consider, to, to consider how this takes place is actually threefold. And the, the first aspect of this is stimulating or spurring one another on to what? To love and good deeds. I love the way that this translation says it, spurs us on it. The idea here is, is stimulating one another, challenging one another to love and good deeds. But I love the word spurs. Some of you may have seen old westerns. So you may know what spurs are. They're on the back of the cowboy boot. They're like stars with multiple points, okay? And you know what the cowboys used to use those spurs for? They would jam them with their heel into the hind parts of the horse to get the horse to do what the cowboy wanted them to do. Spurring on has to do with jabbing those points into the hindquarters of the horse so that the horse would run faster, stay the course. Jockeys today use whips, but cowboys had their hands full with the ropes, so the cowboys used spurs. Can you imagine that image for us today? That's how it's translated. Spur one another on. It means stimulate, yes, it means challenge, yes, but sometimes it pricks. Sometimes there's a little pain. Sometimes there's a, a... a little pointed challenge, if you will. Remember Paul on the road to Damascus? What does God say to Paul before Paul becomes a believer? He says, Paul, does it pain you to kick against the goads? And then Paul became a believer. Sometimes we kick against the goads. Sometimes we kick against the spurs, but we need that. We need that stimulus, that challenge, that spurring on that happens within the context of fellowship, in the context of love and good deeds, because that is what is to emanate from us, love and good deeds. It has to do with how do we become more like Jesus? Jesus went around doing good, demonstrating God's love. How do we develop love and good deeds? It's through spurring one another on to that. You see, and this can't happen if we're isolated. And electronic means may be helpful. Electronic means for challenging and stimulating may be helpful, but it's not the best. Because the second aspect of this exhortation has to do with meeting together in person. And this is something we have lost to a great extent because of the last year health mandates. We need to wear masks. We need to socially distance. We need to be careful and and cautious in terms of our health. But we still need somehow to meet together that personal contact. It says, spur one one another on toward love and good deeds, not forsaking, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Oh, wait a minute. You mean even back then, 2,000 years ago, you mean some of the Christians back then had already started forsaking assembling together? Yeah. It's easy to do. It happens. Even 2,000 years ago, some people were already kind of going their own way apart from the fellowship of other believers, apart from 
the body of Christ. We need to bond with each other as we bond with Christ because we are Christ's body. It has to do with a significant sharing of ourselves, this idea of a fellowship, meeting, meeting together, significant sharing of self as we gather together for fellowship, as we gather together for worship, as we gather together to, to study the Word of God together in the presence of others, other believers who can stimulate us as we do that. We neglect that to our detriment. We neglect the meeting together with other believers in Christ, even to our peril, as we lose enthusiasm for Christ and his people. And so the third part of this, it goes on to say, let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. There's, there's a contrast here. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, but on the other hand, encouraging one another. Let us encourage one another. Encouragement with concern, compassion, support, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, what other ch whatever challenges we may be going through, we need this encouragement. We get that encouragement from God as we draw near to him, but we need it also through brothers and sisters in Christ because God works through us toward each other as well. In fact, what's interesting here is this word for encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. You've heard the term paraclete, possibly. Paraclete is based on the Greek word, and it's used of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sometimes called the paraclete, the one called alongside, the one who encourages. That's the exact same word here for one another. This is amazing. The Holy Spirit can actually use us as we draw alongside one another to encourage one another, to support one another, to strengthen one another with the very words and work of the Holy Spirit. We function in the place of the Holy Spirit in a tangible way in other people's lives. This is what body life is all about. And we have the privilege of participating in that with one another in Christ. I think that's why the New Testament practice of hospitality was so important. Throughout the New Testament, you see hospitality is crucial among believers. Collective worship, you know, Sunday, they still had to work on Sundays. They would get up at the crack of dawn to have collective worship on the Lord's Day in New Testament times so that they could have collective worship even on a day in which they had to go and labor to make their livelihood. They would get up for collective worship on the Lord's Day at the crack of dawn. I mean, now for most of us, that's only done by the worship team and the, the sound people. They're the ones who have to get up at the crack of dawn, not us. But the point is, we need that hospitality, that collective worship, the collective singing, the collective prayer, collective study of God's Word. You know, I've talked with people over this last year with COVID. And one of the things that people have told me they miss the most is singing worship songs with other believers. 
You can sing them at home. You can listen to them on your CDs or on your iTunes or whatever. You can listen to worship songs. You can sing them yourself. But there is something qualitatively different about being in a room with 10 or 20 or 30 other believers and you're all singing the same song of worship to God. It's majestic. You don't need thousands. You only need a few, but the fact that other people are there singing with you. Brothers and sisters, we need that. We need that in our lives. Matthew 18, 20. We don't know exactly how it works, but Jesus makes it very clear. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. There's something special about having two or three believers in one place agreeing together in God's word, in prayer, in song, in worship, whatever it may be. It only takes two or three. But as they gather in the name of Christ, Jesus is there in some unique way. And you can sense it. Now, Jesus is with us everywhere we go, even when we're alone. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is still with us, even when we're alone. But there is something unique, something special, something supernatural about the presence of Jesus when you have two or three together in his name. And brothers and sisters, we desperately need that. It might be prayer partners. It might be small groups, even though it might be on Zoom. I understand that. It might be on Zoom, but we need those, those small groups for accountability, for prayer, for, for study. But we need it. We need it. The end of our passage goes on to say, all the more as you see the day approaching. The day what? The parousia, the return of Christ, Christ's return, the second coming. As we get closer and closer to that great and glorious blessed hope, we need this encouragement more and more and more. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. If you do, it will inhibit your perseverance, your assurance of faith, the profession of your hope, your love, and good deeds. You see, faith and hope and love are all interwoven in our relationship with God and with other believers. Faith, hope, and love were last week as well, remember? Again this week, here it is. Faith, hope, and love are all interwoven on our relationship with God and with other believers. You see, intimacy with God through Christ is strengthened by involvement with others in Christ. God wants to lift us from our selfishness. He wants to lift us from our self-centeredness so that we become Christ-centered, even within the body of Christ. Enthusiasm for Christ develops an enthusiasm for his work and for his people. And this faith, hope, and love are contagious, part and parcel of vital Christianity. But I want to close with this. Intimacy with God, strengthened by involvement with others in Christ, 
takes time and it takes energy. Our relationship with Christ is not a matter of convenience, beloved. It's a matter of commitment. And many believers don't get this. Our relationship with Christ is not ever a matter of convenience. It's a matter of commitment and the redeveloping of priorities so that our priorities are not simply human priorities, but they're God's priorities for us. In just a few minutes, we are going to be taking the Lord's Supper. I think we need to think about this issue of convenience versus commitment, evaluating of priorities, intimacy, and involvement. It's interesting when we talk about the Lord's Supper and celebrating the Lord's Supper, we use the word communion because it's communion with God through Christ. But do you also know why we take the bread together collectively and why we take the cup together collectively? Because it's communion with each other as the body of Christ. Communion is both communion with God vertically. It's also communion with others in the body of Christ. It's communion both vertically and horizontally. And there's only, I would say, two requirements according to this very passage before us for partaking of the bread and the cup. Only two requirements for celebrating the Lord's Supper. The first is that you have that assurance of faith, that you have that single-minded heart attuned to Christ in faith. And secondly, that you know you've been cleansed inside and out, that you know forgiveness, that you know that cleansing from both sin as well as the guilt of sin, cleansing inside and out, single-minded faith. If that's true of you this morning, then I would challenge you to celebrate together with the body of Christ in partaking of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We thank you that you've given us hope, even as we have assurance of faith. Father, help us to reorient our priorities, drawing near to you, holding fast to our profession, stimulating one another to love and good deeds. Father, thank you that you've given us not only your son, but that you have given us brothers and sisters in Christ. And now as we turn to song and to celebration of the Lord's Supper, Lord, give us the joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Give us the enthusiasm of knowing that what we celebrate here this morning is indeed intimacy with God and each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.